Hi, everyone. It's Ellis, and this is the Animal Excellency Podcast. This is the first episode of season three. Um, so today we're going to talk about how frogs, toads, and other amphibians defend themselves. Now, season three, it's a new season, which means new content and a new theme song. All right. So wasn't that pretty great? Okay, let's get started. All right. So when I started making this specific episode, I thought it would be an incredibly short one because I wasn't sure if I could find many ways that amphibians could actually defend themselves. Of course, every animal has its own self-defense, but amphibians, well, they have very soft skin and they don't have any claws, horns, hooves, or even teeth. Um, however, I did some research and I found out that amphibians are able to defend themselves and um, in many surprising ways. All right. So there are three orders of amphibians. Uh, they are frogs and toads, newts and salamanders, and Sicilians. Uh, if you need a review of amphibians, uh, I suggest you listen to the amphibian episode, which was in season one. It was really good. And it gave an overview of the three orders of amphibians and other information, just basic information about amphibians. And it was uh, full of information. Okay, so let's start with frogs and how frogs defend themselves. So this is the most well-known group of amphibians. Um, even though most species are small, they can still defend themselves. Um, but the most common way uh, that frogs defend themselves is by jumping, uh, usually into open water, since frogs usually spend most of their lives around water, as do most amphibians, not all, but most. And um, the offspring of frogs and tadpoles, uh, oh no, the offspring of frogs and toads, tadpoles, they're unable to jump. Um, so their escape is uh, by being born poisonous because tadpoles are basically defenseless. They don't even have legs yet, right? So how are they supposed to defend themselves? Well, they're born poisonous and their poison is unpalatable. So predators learn that they are not a source of food. It, it doesn't taste good at all. Um, other tadpoles, however, are defenses. So what frogs will do, frogs and toads, will produce many of them in large numbers. So that way, the vast majority can survive, even though a lot will probably get picked off. Uh, the vast majority uh, will survive. However, there are frog species that actually have defensive skills, not just jumping away or, you know, just producing mass numbers of them so they survive. And those are the ones we're going to learn about in this episode. So some frogs produce uh, remarkably loud sounds for their size. Some tree frogs, for example, can be heard over one mile away. And each frog has its own distinctive call. But how does this help them evade predators and stay alive? Well, they pitch their calls to make it seem that they are either farther or closer than they actually are, uh, depending on the situation, confusing the predator, whether it's, you know, a bird of prey, maybe an owl or a hawk. Or, you know, something not as big like a raccoon or something like that. Um, so that's one tactic that amphibians use. Other amphibians um, try to hide um, from predators, maybe in leaf litter, underground. This tactic works, but some amphibians don't need to hide because they already uh, make, their, make themselves known as an animal that um, shouldn't be eaten. Uh, for example, poison dart frogs who, you know, everyone knows, um, are well known for their vibrant colors and uh, potent 
poisons. They have bright colors uh, to warn predators that they are dangerous and they shouldn't eat them. So, you know, that's just one way that amphibians uh, use color to warn predators that they're not safe to eat. Um, it's a win-win situation if you think about it because the predator doesn't eat them, so they won't get sick. Uh, normally, the predator doesn't die from the poison, but they will get sick, and they will learn not to eat that type of um, species again. And the frog won't get eaten, so it's a win-win for both. Uh, one species of toad, the cane toad, um, actually secretes a substance known as bufotoxin. Now, this poison can kill most animals, and if humans come into contact uh, with it, it won't kill us most of the time, but it will give us allergic reactions, depending on, um, you know, if you've had a reaction to a certain substance like bufotoxin. Now, cane toads are native to Central America and South America, and they were introduced to Australia purposefully um, to take care of a beetle problem um, that was eating the crops. So they thought, let's get frogs uh, or toads to take out these beetles. Um, it didn't work. It backfired on them. And the cane toads population has grown to a dangerous size. And instead of eating the beetles, they eat the local wildlife, which was probably already endangered, but is now probably critically endangered, most of them. And um, now we have to take immediate action to save those species. Um, so most frogs and toads are only active at night and they remain motionless uh, during the day. So this is another tactic. If they're not moving, sometimes some predators can't spot them. Um, and if you're active at night, well, most predators, not all, but most have, uh, most are diurnal, which means they're awake during the day and they sleep at night. However, some are nocturnal and, you know, they have to deal with those. But while they're not moving during the day, they camouflage. So they'll blend into whatever the background is behind them, whether it's a leaf, um, a woods, a wooden stump, or you know, man-made trash in the wild or something like that. But they will blend in. And some species, such as leaf frogs, have taken this defense tactic to the extreme. So some have skin that matches their background, right? And some actually are born with protuberances that allow their outline to be broken up. So they'll maybe have warts on them or some of their arms will look like an actual leaf stem and it will make, him, make it much harder for predators to spot them and distinguish um, between their prey and just another thing in their environment, like a leaf or a twig or something like that. Now, salamanders, the second group that we will discuss, um, are creatures that looks, uh, <clears throat> sorry, they look like a mix between a frog and a lizard because they have a smooth, moist skin like a frog, but they have four limbs and a tail like a lizard. So it's sort of a mix between the two groups of animals. So some salamanders have bright and colorful skin, just like some frogs, um, that warn animals that they are not a tasty meal. However, these colorful warnings, obviously, we know aren't for show, even though some species do have them just for show, and they mimic other species that are actually poisonous. And in that way, they are they remain safe because um, predators won't take the chance of, you know, looking at it closely to identify if um, a prey animal is not as not what it seems, especially if it's a dangerous one. They're probably not going to stick around to figure out um, whether or not it's safe to eat. They would rather go with something that they know for certain is safe to eat. So um, salamanders will also um, secrete poison through glands on their tails. 
um, as well as on their necks. Now, frogs and toads have it on their necks. If they have it, they have it on their necks. But salamanders have it on their necks and their tails, um, which is helpful because it's just another gland that they can use to get their point across when they're confronted, when a predator confronts them. Um, so one species um, takes it to the extreme, just like the leaf frogs, but in a different way, in its own respective manner. Uh, the fire salamander, which got its name from the fact that people in ancient Europe once thought that they were born from fires, um, this species can squirt poison from glands behind its head. So no, it's not born from a fire, but it's still pretty impressive. Um, if it aims uh, correctly, the poison can land in a predator's eye or mouth. Um, and the skin can also nauseate or kill any animal that touches it, depending on what animal it is. So yeah, this amphibian is not something you would want to mess with. Um, you definitely want to avoid it at all costs. Um, but the defenses for, you know, the salamander group or newts, both, don't stop there. Um, if a predator grabs a toe, uh, tail, or even leg of a salamander or newt, the salamander can break off that appendage and escape. Now, it's probably painful, but they can grow it back. But, you know, even though it's painful, it's it's worth it because you're still they're still alive. The individual's still alive. But unfortunately... Um, it will take about two months for them to grow back. And during that period, they're incredibly vulnerable, right? Because they don't have the same um, abilities that they used to have. You know, you might only have one leg now or one arm or even, you know, one less toe not or, you know, d not have a tail, right? But um, the surprising thing is they can also grow back damaged organs. So not only toes, tails, or legs, extremities like that, they can also grow back organs that are inside their body. Um, obviously not their heart, but, you know, maybe um, other important organs. So other salamanders, such as rib newts, type of newt, uh, protect themselves in a very different way. So what they will do is um, if a predator grabs them, they will squeeze their ribs to make the – oh, squeeze their muscles to make the tips of their ribs poke through their skin and into a predator. So it's probably like the other one, um, the um, – Fire salamander. Oh, no, sorry. Not the salam uh, fire salamander specifically, but just salamanders as a whole. Um, it's probably painful, you know, to lose a toe or a tail or a leg. But, you know, or, you know, poke the, make the muscles of your body uh, poke the tips of your ribs through your skin. It's probably painful, but it repels the predator. And that's what these amphibians want. They want to survive. So, you know, these are extreme, obviously. Not all... Um, amphibians have this uh, ability, you know, to poke their ribs through their body, but they still use it. Some still use it because, you know, they, they want to stay alive. They want to survive, right? Um, so they poke them through their skin and into the predator, uh, depending on how the predator is holding them. So, you know, if it's holding them either with a beak, if it's a bird, or in its uh, jaws, if it's a mammal, I guess. Um, it will poke and poke through, um, obviously not the teeth that's strong, but, um, the gums or the, you know, the jaws, I guess, or, you know, whatever part of, um, the bird, um, not the beak, but any other part of the bird that is exposed and that the sharp tips of the ribs can break through. Yeah. These ribs are, um, the tips of these ribs are very sharp 
So um, predators will let them go immediately. Sometimes they're not even hurt, but the predators are shocked by what happened, you know? Um, so they'll drop the newt or the animal, and it will escape. So uh, Sicilians, uh, the last group of amphibians that we will discuss, are basically worm-like animals that form the smallest of the three major groups of amphibians. So they're limbless, so they may seem like easy prey, just like worms, um, but Sicilians can defend themselves against predators. Like many other amphibians, they uh, actually have toxic glands in their skin that protect them from being eaten. Now, they don't have many uh, defenses, but this is just one of the few because they spend most of their lives underground. So most of the time, they don't even need to defend themselves against predators because that in and of itself is a defense tactic. So in that way, you know, they can defend themselves against predators and survive. All right, that's it for today. Be sure to comment, rate, and subscribe. Come back next time to learn about scavengers and what they do for the environment, other animals, and even us. This is Ellis, and this is the Animal Excellency Podcast. See you next time. <laughs>